0: Do you want me to lay down on the couch? Like, like you're going to give me therapy right now? I think
1: that'd be helpful. Is this, is this what therapy looks like in your mind, Anthony? It does.
0: I mean, that's <laughs> what they do on, where you're on, on movies, right? No, I've been in counseling and I've never <laughs> laid on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> but don't they do that in the movies? Let's start the show.
2: Welcome to For the Sake of Phoenix, a podcast by Missio Day Communities, where we discuss how a community of God's people can learn to grow in God's ways. For the sake of our city. I'm Chris Preby. I'm one of the hosts and one of the pastors of Missio Day Phoenix. We believe the Bible tells one unified story, and it's the true story of the whole world. A story that moves from creation to restoration, where Jesus is the hero and the church is invited to join in his redemptive work. Before I go any further, let me introduce you to my friend, co-pastor, and co-host
0: of the show, Anthony Suarez. You can be known by the creator of the universe, and deeply loved. And we as the church are to be an expression of that. We are to be the mediator, the ambassador, the expression of God loving his people.
2: All right, well, here we are with season two of our podcast, For the Sake of Phoenix. I am Chris Prevey. Here with co-host
0: Anthony Suarez. Sorry, you were going to say something. No, I was just going to say, and I'm Anthony Suarez. And he's Anthony Suarez. Yeah. And I didn't think it would go past, like, episode two. And we're on season two here. Right. So that's, yeah, what are you exciting. have? Short seasons of only six
2: episodes? It's easier to get to multiple seasons that way.
0: Yeah. So season one,
2: we started doing this podcast just to kind of talk about what is the call and the response of the church, of people following Jesus? in the midst of a pandemic that we experienced, um, health crisis, economic downfall, all that stuff going on. And then we started dealing with division and political tensions and racial tensions and all that, which we didn't really scratch the surface on last season. But we we did a lot of overview over the pandemic, did a lot of talking about big picture things. And we looked at um, things as, as far as like, how do we just change our normal rhythms and routines when our daily life has been all jumbled up? How do we deal with a wise use of technology when we're staying at home more often? Uh, We dealt with division and keeping unified in the spirit together as the church. And we talked a little bit about fear and anxiety, but we did an overview of all those because Anthony and I are not necessarily experts in these fields. And we hit a point where we felt like, we had said everything we could say. So we called that season one. <laughs> uh, and then what's happened since then is things have actually progressed and continued and deepened in this whole COVID situation that we're facing, particularly in Arizona, where we have a lot more cases. So things are shut down longer. And there's a lot more of a heated debate. And what we're also finding is it's the contributing to a a growth in anxiety, depression, and issues in mental health. And so that's one of the episodes we want to zoom in on, because we do have an expert here with us in the studio today. Studio being back office in a coffee shop. (laughs) (laughs) So we have Crystal Krieger here with us. She is a licensed therapist. She's a friend of ours. She's a member of our church family. And I'm going to let her tell you a little bit more about herself.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, Again, my name's Crystal. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I run a um, agency, a mental health agency out in Goodyear, Arizona called Dawn Institute, and we focus on families that have been through trauma. So we work with children and parents, um, helping them better to be a solid family unit. Um, My history actually has been primarily in trauma work. As soon as I graduated um, from grad school, I dived right into the deep end and I've been working with people that have gone through trauma ever since. Um, I've heard a few times that the lifespan of a trauma therapist is usually around six years. I've been doing this for about seven now and I just couldn't imagine life any other way. I just feel like this is a calling and um, really what God has equipped me for.
2: We've actually been able to, my wife and I both, I think you might have to, Anthony, sit through some of her trauma training and it's been super, super good. Thanks. Helpful. Why Don Institute? Where'd that name come from? <laughs> um,
1: and it's
0: D A W N, right?
1: Yeah, correct. Like, Thank like, you. Not D O
0: N, not D O N. I like the guy's name Don. <laughs> no,
1: D A W N, like the female version, actually. Um, or The Rising of the Dawn. There you go. So my dad and my sister actually started Don Institute. I get asked a lot if they're mental health professionals, and I usually laugh and say, no, (laughs) no, they are not. (laughs) Um, But they both have a significant business background. And so we work really well together. But one of the barriers that we've run into is that we all think very similarly. We're very practical people. And so when it came to coming up with names for our agency, they were all pretty dull and boring. Um, They were all very practical. And so we're like, well, how do we have something more creative? And so my sister was kind of playing through, like, "Could we name it after somebody? And she was running through some names. My middle name is actually Dawn. And so that's kind of where it came from. It's named after me in a more implicit way. Um, But then there is the bigger message of um, working with families that have been through trauma, that there is a light after darkness. Mm -hmm. Crystal
2: Institute would have been too on the nose. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We try to go for subtle.
2: So what got you down that path of mental health therapy counseling?
1: Um, what made
2: you start paying attention to that?
1: I don't know that it was so much about what got me paying attention to it. Um, I actually was going to school for business. Um, I thought that I would graduate um, my bachelor's program and go into corporate America. And when I got pregnant with my second daughter, Lexi, I took a term off of school. And it was during that time, God really gave me this call for counseling. And so um, I went from ASU to Arizona Christian University. I lost about half of my credits. And so I ended up adding three more years to um, my bachelor's but it was totally worth it and so really more than anything else it was just God's call in my life um, I just felt there was just this very clear direction from him that this is where I needed to be
2: how would you I mean you talked about like this being a calling for you but like what makes you passionate about what you do
1: so one of the questions that I actually get not I don't even a question one of the statements that people make knowing that I work with um, people that have been through really some sometimes just horrific traumas is, I don't know how you do what you do. And my response to that, which I think would be the response to your question as well, is I really believe that sometimes in the darkest moments is when we see the best in humanity. And so for every horrible thing that happens, you see a hundred more people step up and do good to support that person. You see a capacity in people, um, just to continue to move on, even when life is so difficult. Um, can I share a story? Yeah. It's, it's a more a, like a metaphorical story. Um, I was, so um, I'm a pretty avid backpacker hiker. Um, and so I was, I hiked down into the Grand Canyon. Um, Will and I, my husband and I were hiking along the canyon wall, which is absolutely beautiful. And There's just all this like rock and debris that's fallen from the top of the canyon. And as I'm hiking, I'm like, oh, wow, this is so beautiful. And then I probably started to overthink it because I went my mind went to when builders build, they drop these huge piles of dirt in fields. And I usually feel a little like irritated about that because I'm like, well, that's rude. You're just going to leave your dirt in this field. But as I was thinking, I was thinking, you know, they're kind of the same thing. Dirt in a field, debris at the bottom of the canyon, but one I think is beautiful and one I don't. And as I continued to think, where my mind took me was either way, the earth is going to heal itself. Over time, um, the rock will start to decay. Um, new life will grow up. And I, even to take that even one step further, I thought, isn't that how God created us? Like he created us to have healing properties. Like he created us when when debris in our life comes and hardship in our life comes. He created us to be redeemed. Mm. And so that's why I do what I do because every day I don't hear the stories of adversity. What I hear is the redemption and the growth in people's life and that is what I feel passionate about.
0: Mm. My question, who do therapists go to for therapy? Mm.
1: That's a good question. We go to other therapists. Um, I have therapists that come and see me, and I actually have my own therapist that I go see.
0: Like, Is that a common thing among therapists, like to deal with? Because I imagine it's, again, depending on who you are and who, who God has created you to be, I imagine hearing people's trauma and hurt and pain mm-hmm. all day for every day can be taxing and, and can be burdensome. So is that a common thing that therapists have, like, go to others for? I hope so. To process?
1: I hope so. Um, I believe in order to be um, a quote unquote good therapist, we have to be willing to grow and we have to be willing to do our own work. We can only, I believe we can only go as deep as with our clients as we're willing to go with ourselves. I, um, Our agency, Dawn Institute, was asked to co-host, um, it was kind of like a support group for medical providers. Um, there was, a, um, at the beginning of COVID, um, really dark time for providers. Either they lost a ton of business, were um, having to furlough their staff, or they were on the front lines. And so this was probably during all of COVID, um, probably the heaviest time for me as well. And so here I am going and hosting kind of like the support group for medical professionals, and at the same time having to kind of carry this heaviness for myself, and I thought, you know, in, in some ways, not always, not always, but in some ways, the buck does stop at mental health, and so we have to have our supports, we have to have our resources, because where do you go from there, right? And so, um, I I think it is absolutely essential for therapists to have their person that they can um, li- that can listen to them objectively and speak into their life.
2: I have a story, and it's not metaphor. Me.
1: Oh, I do like stories. Good.
2: So several years ago, uh, I just I'd been pretty newly pastoring a church. Um, the person who had planted the church had stepped down and resigned. It was me and, and another lay pastor, which just meant like we weren't on staff, we didn't get paid. I was super new, didn't know what I was doing. So we kind of looked at each other and said, What will we do? And we said, Well, let's just co pastor together. Uh, this wasn't Anthony, this was pre Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> and so we did, but he was, he was in the middle of a school year where he was an administrator
3: mm-hmm. at the school.
2: And so couldn't break his contract. I was running a nonprofit, so my time was flexible. I could set my own hours. And so I basically took the helm for those six months. Um, and just dove right into it. And it was my first experience in that. And I felt like I was doing a decent job. <laughs> I was I was at least getting us to the next um, milestone, right? The next mile marker. But there came, there hit a point, it was right around June when his contract or his school uh, season was ending and he was able to step in and start coming alongside me more where I felt like I could breathe a little bit,
3: yeah.
2: where I had an, an interesting moment. So I got, I, I might have told each of you the story before, but for the sake of this episode. So I get into my car after a meeting at a coffee shop, and I have another meeting I have to go to. And I sit there in my seat, and then nothing happens. And I sit there, and my brain starts telling my body, Put the key in the ignition. It's not that hard. And I just didn't. I I didn't move. I I was frozen. And my brain was like, you have a meeting to go to. Just put the key in the ignition and start the car. You know exactly, like everything was working in my brain. It was like, I know exactly where I need to go. I know that that it's time for me to go or I'm going to be late. But my body just froze. I didn't do anything. Or it felt like eternity. It was probably like two to five minutes or something. But I I sat there for a long time and then eventually (sighs) (sighs) took a big breath and then went. And what I realized later was that was my body telling me like, hey, pay attention, pay attention to what's going on inside of you. I don't really uh, carry my stress in a way that I notice it immediately. It takes a long time for maybe that's me being stubborn. I don't know. It takes a long time for me to pick up on it and go, oh, I'm I'm getting a little stressed out, I think. Maybe I should do some self-care. And So I share that story because I think we're in a season right now where there's been a lot of changes quickly for people. And there's even been some trauma that has hit for some people, but they, they wouldn't necessarily name that as trauma. And so they might not be picking up on some of those cues, whether it's physical from their own body telling them or uh, just even their mental state, they may not be picking up on some of those cues of going, hey, pay attention to yourself and to your health and what's going on. So I wanted to share that just to give you an opening and a window to start talking maybe a little bit about what are some ways we can pay better attention to our mental health?
1: Right. Right. So and maybe
2: you could diagnose what's wrong with me, too, after that story. <laughs> you see my, my
1: shirt does say, keep talking, I'm diagnosing oh, you. Oh, <laughs> great. Nice.
2: That's always my biggest fear of talking. <laughs> great.
1: <laughs> um, so it, if I can even go back to your story, right, what happens for you, as it does with most people, is our mind and our body, they start to disconnect. And there's all of these ways that culturally we almost set ourselves up to mm-hmm. disconnect and we have a term in the mental health community called cut off from the neck down. It means we stay all in the cognitive, all in the thinking, and we forget about the most wise part of our of ourselves which is our body. Our body is sending us all of these messages all the time, which we can get into in a minute. But what we end up doing is we get so caught in the cognitive and some of the ways that this is further supported by society is busyness. We're very information heavy. Um, I I really believe that information in many ways has become our idol. If only we know more, Mm -hmm. right? And that becomes almost like the soothing drug to us. Um, We plop down in front of our phone, in front of our computer, in front of our TV, and we're no longer attuning to what our body's saying. So we have this, um, if we can call it a four letter F word, it's called feel, (laughs) (laughs)
0: Can that be the title of the podcast?
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So we have this four letter F word that we call feel. And you'll often hear people use the words emotions and feelings interchangeably Mm -hmm. because that's all an emotion is. At its root, an emotion is a sensation in your body. And it is a sensation that's trying to tell us what we need. And so I know I've used this example um, with the youth, but. The way I often think about it is when you're kids, you play this game where you take two solo cups and you tie the string to each one of them and then you pull the string really tight and then you can talk back and forth to your friends. Well, that is how um, that's how our mind and our body work together. Um, Kind of on a side note, I don't think the brain ever says, oh, man, you know, that thing down there called the body, it doesn't ever think of it as a separate (laughs) thing, right? It's all one thing. It's like, oh. There's all of me. But when we think of this cup game, um, the mind will tell us all kinds of things. And sometimes the mind can be truthful and sometimes the mind can be a liar. Um, The mind can say, hey, I'm such a failure. Or the mind can say, you know, I'm really good at some things. And those thoughts is kind of like talking down to the body through through the solo cup analogy it's like saying hey body up here we're kind of thinking we're a failure today right and so the body is going to send all of these sensations it's going to say oh crud i'm a failure and so it's going to start getting tense and start going into what we call a survival response Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. conversely um our body if it feels tense if it's having all of these sensations slash feelings um, it's going to send a message back up to the mind. It's going to talk into that solo cup. Hey, brain up there. I'm feeling really tense today. And that's going to alter what how the brain thinks mm-hmm. that day. Mm-hmm. I live in a two-story house. And I was starting to find that whenever my kids were doing something wrong upstairs um, and I had to run up the stairs to go get to them, I was a lot harsher with them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what in the world is happening? Well, When I run up the stairs, it gets my body all amped up, which we could call our fight or flight response. And so by the time I got up the stairs, my body was already primed, which was then priming my mind for a fight response. Thus, the reason I was more aggressive with my kids, Mm -hmm. like... I would be more harsher in tone more likely to yell and so then what I learned was after running up the stairs I actually needed to stand at the top for a minute and take a few deep breaths to get my body to go to cool back down and to get my mind to align my mind and my body to get back in alignment hey like what they're doing really isn't One of the things that you mentioned was um, at the end of that, sitting there for the two to three minutes that felt like a million years, and at the end, you took this huge, big, huge breath, Yeah. and that is your body's signal of release. Mm-hmm. Like, if you ever, I mean, if you ever um, really pay attention to other people, or... Not really. Um, <laughs> especially not you, Chris, (laughs) Um, or even yourself, after a really stressful moment, we take this huge deep breath, and it's like our body's way of saying, I'm good. Everything's okay. Where that can be a little tricky, though, is sometimes we can actually use our breathing to constrict um, our emotions. So what we might find ourselves doing is when we feel anxious, when we feel worry, when we feel anger, we take a big, deep breath in, and then we just kind of slowly let it out. Um, and what we're trying to do really is to hold in the emotion. Mm-hmm. And that's not a true release. And so breathing is a wonderful thing. I would never speak against it. But sometimes it can actually be a way that we, we've we learned to really contain or to hold things in.
2: It's interesting how we as humans can take like good tools in life and use them wrong.
1: Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah.
2: You mentioned uh, living as if we're cut off from the neck down and information overload, that kind of being the idol of our day, which I mm-hmm. totally agree with. And I, I think we see that just even in the church, that a lot of what we think of following Jesus or, or being a quote unquote good Christian is, is having the right information sometimes. Right. Um, and when it comes to like discipleship, it's, it's all about getting head knowledge. It's getting information downloaded and if we can get that right then we must be growing
3: mm. as
2: a christian and we we separate it but i love how you talked about like god made us as whole people we're we're integrated we're one it's it's a whole being i love how you said the head doesn't speak to the body like it's some other thing um but it's we're all connected and i think that's something that possibly a lot of a lot of the history of the church in the western church has done some damage in creating this dichotomy between physical and mental and spiritual. And these are all different areas where we kind of feel like I could do whatever to my body because eventually I'm going to float away from it one day anyway. Um, but as long as I have the right information right now and I said this prayer, so my soul saved, right? you know, as opposed to when Jesus says, um, well, when, when our when Scripture talks about our souls, it's talking about the very essence of who we are. Or when Paul says, "Believe in the Lord in your heart and confess with your mouth," he's integrating your like who you are, believing with all of your being, and then he's integrating it with this action that your body does, right? And so, and James talks about that, like your your faith will turn into works because it's all connected as one. So I'd love to talk a little more about that. Um, I think we disconnect these things, and the way that that can sometimes play out as someone in the church is when we start talking about mental health, sometimes the tendency in, in some circles is to go, I don't really need to talk about that, or I don't really need to deal with, like, if I'm feeling depressed or anxious, I just need to quote this scripture and tell myself, like, hey, trust in God, and then forget about the rest of it, right? And I think there might be something good about that, but I think also we're dismissing um, just the whole being, who we are.
1: Right, right. It's kind of like if I were, Anthony, if I were to put in front of you a jar of um, butter, a a little dish of butter. Now we're talking. A little dish of (laughs) sugar. All right. A little dish of flour. All right. A little dish of bacon. um, (laughs) No. Okay, sorry. Keep going. A little dish of um, cocoa powder and a little tiny bit of salt. And I said to you, lick your finger and dip it in each one and then lick your finger again. And mm-hmm. I would say, there's your brownie. Is that really a brownie?
0: Nope.
1: <laughs> and, but and yet, that's what we do with the human being. When you say, here's our mental health, here's our mm-hmm. vocation, here's our spiritual, here's our social, um, here's our medical. And then we're like, well, there's the human being. Yeah. That's a great amount. But that doesn't actually make up a whole human being. That makes up very disintegrated parts. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I shared this with you, Chris, that I just recently learned um, the Latin word for integrated Mm -hmm. is integrar, something along those lines. And it means to be whole. And so when we look at us as an integrated human being, which is how God designed us to be, we're whole. But we have segmented our mind and our body and all these elements of our life so much that what we end up with are very disintegrated people.
2: How do you think that affects mental health, having a disintegrated life?
1: I think that up until recent generations, mental health has been very dismissed. And I think that it is, um, from my experience, I can't speak for everybody's, um, it has been very taboo within the church. Um, I I actually worked at a Christian agency one time, and um, one of the clients that I worked with it was it was kind of comical at the moment. He basically told me that he believed my job was sinful, mm-hmm. and um, I was like, hmm, not really sure what to do with this right now. But I think that for a lot of people, that's the mindset. I mean, even when you think of the word meditation. Probably coming out of the 80s and 90s, like meditation was like this demonic thing that people Mm -hmm. did. But how many times is like meditation mentioned actually in the scripture?
2: I remember my mom telling me we couldn't watch Ninja Turtles cartoons because Master Splinter would tell them to meditate. So that was demonic.
1: (laughs) Right, right. And so we come from this culture that all of these things that are good and help to integrate us and not to say that the world hasn't turned those into something else. But we say that they're bad, and so what that means for mental health is one we disconnect from our body, and so all of those feelings, all of those sensations that our body's trying to tell us we're not listening to, and our body is in some ways like a two year old if we don't listen to it, if we don't pay attention, it's going to throw a tantrum um and so what we see are people that have um mental health, um, their, their body's telling them all kinds of things, and they're not listening. And what ends up happening sometimes is that ends up seeping out in medical problems. That ends up see- seeping out in chronic pain. Um, that ends up seeping out in mental health issues that become more severe than they ever needed to be. In working with adults that who've been through trauma, one of the things that I've learned, again, through experience is, People can have this really bad thing happen in childhood, and for the most part, people can learn how to kind of hold that in, hold it together, and go about life, and try not to look back or think back on it. But then when in their adulthood, something bad happens, it tips the scale, and they can no longer hold it together. And so then you can see um, post-traumatic responses years later because they can no longer hold it in. Their body then begins to be like a two-year-old and say, I can't, I can't do this. You have to listen to me now. And I think for a lot of people in light of COVID, that's what's happened. Mm-hmm. They've experienced these hardships throughout their life and they found ways to mitigate that. They found ways to kind of be like a rubber band that holds it all together. And you have this thing that is just so heavy on all of society. And it's like, I can't do it anymore. Like this is too hard. Mm-hmm. Even to go back to your car example, mm-hmm. there was that moment where it was like your body's way of saying, this is too much. Mm-hmm. You're not listening to me. I'm trying to tell you this is too much. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's specifically like addressing the church. Why do you think mental health is, in, in my perspective and opinion, mental health has been that one taboo area where you just don't talk about. You know, like, we'll talk about spiritual disciplines, we'll talk about physical disciplines, Mm -hmm. we'll talk about eating right, and your diet, and working out, and we're a community, we need to be social, like, all of these different areas of life. Yeah, and that guy wouldn't have probably told a personal trainer his
2: job was sinful, right? Right. But we, like, you were saying, like, physical disciplines are okay.
0: Right. But not. Physical disciplines, spiritual disciplines, but mental health, why do you think it's so taboo, or... It has been. I feel like we've kind of turned a corner in the last sure. three to five years where it's it's becoming more and more a part of the conversation. Um, but I feel like even that has been kind of forced because of like a lot of tragedy yeah. where we're finding out, wow, mental health is really important. Because if we don't address these things, it, fl- it does flush itself out in disease and chronic pain or um beatings or school shootings or all, all of these, you know, out of that pain, it's kind of forced that conversation. But within the church, why do you think mental health has been so um, guarded and kept at arm's length for so long?
1: I can give you my thoughts and my opinions. That's what we're asking. All right. <laughs> so please don't take this as fact. <laughs> um, Mental health is throughout its history has been taboo. And I believe that is because the underpinnings, um, when you think of like the origins of when we very first started considering mental health as an actual field, Mm -hmm. um, it was very much based around what's wrong with you, Mm -hmm. right? And even some of the ways that we um, confronted or a better word for that would probably even be addressed mental health we're not very humane. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's this culture that began of like, I don't want to be associated with that. I don't want to be seen as broken, as damaged or as something being mentally wrong with me. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that culture has really traveled throughout time. And this is actually one of the things that I'm grateful for, for the upcoming generations is they're very much (laughs) nonconformists. A lot of these, um, kind of stigmas they're no longer standing for. And um, and so I think even today for high schoolers to have a, their therapist is a status symbol, mm-hmm. which you don't, I don't think we've ever seen that in any generation prior. If you had a therapist, it was this very hush-hush thing, don't mm-hmm. tell anybody. So even as you kind of follow that um, chronology of mental health, then at some point we came to what's called, we call it our um, the mental health bible, It's our Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. It's where we come up with diagnoses. And diagnoses, um, if you were to look at the, we call it the DSM for short. Um, If you look at the third revision of the DSM in the forward, it says this is not intended to be used for labeling, and this is not intended to be used for billing. Mm -hmm. We're on the fifth revision now, and what are the very two things we use it for? To label and to bill the 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 diagnoses that were created were intended to give clinicians a common language so rather than saying i have a client who doesn't enjoy things very much they're sleeping more they're eating more um they have low energy i can say hey i have a client who presents with depressive symptoms Mm -hmm. right but that's not what now what we do is we label Mm -hmm. and people it's this odd dichotomy where people don't want to be labeled but at the same time they really love to embrace their labels right mm-hmm. and so um, and so when you look at even just culturally those are some of the challenges that we've had to come up against with mental health now to bring that more specifically to the church um, I think that um, as a as a um, church culture I think sometimes we, have a hard time with change.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, we, we, um, my husband and I went to a Southern Baptist church for a while and there's this joke that kind of went around. Um, how many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb (laughs) change? (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I think as a, as a church culture, by and large, we are very hesitant to change. And in some ways, rightfully so, right? Because as Christians, it's our job to protect God's word. Like we all have a responsibility in that. Um, but sometimes it can be to the de- detriment of being um, more progressive in thoughts, in things that aren't necessarily biblical truths, mm. such as mental health. <laughs>
2: Curious to like know if there are ways for people to kind of have have things to look out for with that, and to go, mm-hmm. oh wait, maybe this is something bigger than just me being tired a lot all the time. Right. You know, maybe I should go talk to somebody. Are there certain things that you would recommend for like just the average person? To like, hey, be on watch in yourself for these things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So. Even when we go back to a diagnosis, um, probably as a mental health professional, one of my peeves is um, when people say, oh, that's just my OCD. Oh, that's just my depression. Um, And I know this is just because I'm a mental health professional. I'm not trying to dog on anybody that does that. But when you think of... Thanks for not dogging. On. I was really trying to call you out in a very <laughs> it, passive-aggressive is that, way. Is
0: that how, this is how you should pay attention to what you're doing? Is that, <laughs> is that you passive-aggressively answering the question directly towards me? This is how Anthony should Cause be Because I'm feeling a lot of pressure.
1: <laughs> um, at the heart of what what we would say is a diagnosis is the question, does it impair daily functioning in some aspect of your life? Does it prevent you from having friendships if you are feeling depressed and you can't call your friends and you don't can't get the energy to go out with them and you know it's good for you that this that is what we would call disordered, right? Mm-hmm. Um, does it impact your vocation? Are you calling into work multiple days a week because you have so much anxiety that you can't leave your house, right? Um, it, that means it is impairing your life that it's begin, so much that it's beginning to impact your work, um, your marriage, parenting, um, any, any type of element of your life, that's when we would say, okay, there's a red flag here that we really need to pay attention to. So specifically, um, some of the things that people can be on the lookout for, um, if we look at the mind, what kind of thoughts are you having? Um, the very first kind of red flag is, am I having thoughts of suicide? Am I having thoughts that I don't want to be here? And there is a wide difference. There's a huge difference between this is a horrible day. I really wish I didn't exist versus I really don't want to be here and I'm starting to develop a plan now. Mm -hmm. Right. There's a huge difference between that. I don't know anyone in this world. I've never talked to anyone who hasn't at some point say, I really wish I wasn't here on this earth right now. Right. Yeah. Um,
0: Even some, even our kids say that sometimes. Right. You know, like, and you. As a parent, you're like, whoa, whoa, where did that come from?
1: Right. Well, you know, right. but
0: but then when you when you stop and take a look at it and be like, well, I've, I've just, I haven't said that in front of them, but they're, I've had those days, too.
1: Yeah. You we know, all where have.
0: I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, I get it.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. Because that is that is the mind's way of trying to escape pain and discomfort.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That is it's our it's our mind looking for an option. This isn't, I'm really uncomfortable. I'm in a lot of emotional pain. Sometimes I'm in a lot of physical pain Mm -hmm. and I just want to escape it. Mm -hmm. And when we have the immediate thought and we can go immediately to other solutions, that's good. Mm -hmm. We need other solutions. But when we are having the thought and we can't find any other solution, that's usually when we need to reach out for support. Mm -hmm. Um, um, The second thing is going back to impairment. Is there, um, is it impacting friendships? Is it impacting work? Um, is it impacting your spiritual life? And again, that's usually a red flag. Hey, I think I might need to talk with somebody. Um, have you noticed the change in your eating? Are you eating more? Or are you eating less? Now, we all kind of have this natural cycle where we eat a little bit more and we eat a little bit less. I think if, right now everybody being stuck at home is eating a little bit more. <laughs> 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 hey, our COVID 20-pound weight gain. Yeah. <laughs> um, but outside of that, um, do you find that you're comfort eating um, to the point, again, where it's creating an impairment in your life? Um, or do you find that you're not eating enough to maintain the calories that you need every day? Um, are you wanting to sleep all of the time? Uh, are you having so much anxiety that you just can't seem to organize your internal world or your external world? And those can all be red flags that maybe it's time to talk to somebody. And sometimes... Sometimes it doesn't even have to be a mental health professional. Sometimes mm. it can be just calling a friend and saying, hey, yeah. I struggle. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people feel shame that they aren't perfect, which nobody is. And so it's hard to go to people. But just by calling um, somebody, it will reduce the shame. Shame breeds an isolation. And so when we can pull into a community, um, that lessens the intensity of it.
0: As, um, as you were talking to... On the flip side of that, like how as a friend or as a parent or as a spouse or sibling or any other role we play in life, if we see things going on in somebody else, all of a sudden they've dropped off the face of the earth and we haven't heard from them in two weeks. Where normally we would talk to them on a pretty regular schedule mm-hmm. or um, we've noticed, um, you know, just in that and hanging out with them, they're not there usual jovial self but there's this genuine like sorrow you know um or like how if we see it in somebody else how do we approach that in a way where it's not it doesn't um cause them just to go inward and shut down and Mm -hmm. withdraw but to to draw that out in them is there is there like a a safe way to do that where it doesn't shut them down but draws them out
1: right um the So I think I'm going to start with like each of us individually. Um, I think most people do have this fear of what if I say the wrong thing? What if I uh, make this worse? Um, In my experience, most people want to be acknowledged and seen. And so when we can just come to another human being and say, hey, um, I noticed you seemed a little bit off and I want to check in on you. How are you? To most people, that feels like a relief. Mm -hmm. Um, the follow-up to that is when someone says, "Yeah, I'm really struggling." Our um, our approach is to fix it because we when when someone else is in discomfort, we start to feel discomfort. I mm-hmm. actually um, with my clients, I call this the Edward Scissorhands effect. <laughs> um, it is you remember the movie Edward yeah. Scissorhands? So there's I this,
0: love that analogy because <laughs> <laughs> if he was cutting my hair, I would be
3: stressed. Out.
1: Yeah. Um, there's a scene where um, Winona Ryder, her character's little brother, um, he's about to get hit by a car. So Edward pushes him out of the way and he falls and he gets hurt. And so Edward comes in to try and help him. But he it's a very reactive help. And so he ends up kind of cutting his face. And it, it's right happening right in the middle of the culmination where people are seeing him from being a good guy to a bad guy now. And what happened was, I'm going to do some therapist analysis on this movie, this fictional character, if you'll <laughs> hang with me for a minute. What happens, what happened is Edward felt, felt uncomfortable with the boy's discomfort and that created this very, um, reactionary behavior in him. So he tried to go in and help and ended up cutting him up. If he would have stepped back and said, what is, what does this child need right now? He could have come up with a much more intentional response. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes when we see someone that we care about in discomfort, it creates discomfort in us and we don't like that. And so we want to go in and fix it. And we end up Edward scissor handsing people. Um, in fact, we sometimes Edward hands ourselves when we feel uncomfortable. We're like, oh, I don't like this feeling. Fix it, fix it, fix it. And we're not intentional on doing the things we need to do to care for ourselves. And we can actually do more harm for, for ourselves and for other people. And so when people come to us and they're saying, yeah, I'm really struggling, the best thing we can do is say, thank you for telling me, like, I'm here to talk. We don't need to fix it. Um, and Probably most of the time we can't, Mm -hmm. but the best thing that we can do um, is what in the therapy world we call is holding space. You just sit with someone and be present with them and listen.
2: Which is such a biblical thing that we are called to do, you know? Absolutely. Just to be present with Mm
1: someone.
2: Is that going to be your next shirt, by the way? Don't ever scissor hands yourself.
1: I actually was considering (laughs) it.
0: struggles with depression I think a lot of times when I'm in that funk and I'm in that just dark place I don't I don't necessarily um know that's what it is or that's where I'm at you know like um it's it's kind of oblivious to me Mm -hmm. until it does start to harm other people or it does start affecting Mm -hmm. other relationships mainly my, my wife or, you know, or even like how I respond or react to my kids. Right. But even I've had friends too, like gently just come along and say, Hey, are you, are you okay? Or one of the questions that I, that I've, I've given permission to my wife and other people to ask me if, if they think I'm, I might be in a bad place is where are you at? Right. Where are you at right now? Right. And it just kind of forces me to kind of take stock of, am I in a dark place? Am I in a good place? Am I just tired? Did I just have a bad day? You know, j- but just that question, where are you at? It's a safe question for me.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I've given permission to them to say, hey, I, I like this is good. It helps me reflect. But a lot of people like don't recognize the, the symptoms right away or, right. Or, or what they're dealing with. And so I think that's just um, just another example of the need of community. Mm-hmm. Uh, of safe people that are willing to come alongside it. I
1: completely agree because when we are in those intense emotional moments, it is hard to see through the fog. Mm-hmm. It yes. is so hard to see through the fog.
0: And that's exactly what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like you're sitting in this fog, nothing's clear. You have no idea where you're at. You feel like you're going nowhere. Although you're doing everything you would normally do during your day, your job, parenting, being a spouse, like everything. Right. But yet at the end of two weeks, you're like, what did I do? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, where am I at? You know, like it's just mm-hmm. this fog. Yeah.
1: And so you find those people who can be your community around you, who when you're in that fog can sit next to you and say, I'm in, I'm in this fog with you. Mm-hmm. I'm here with you. We're going to make it through it it can even be that person who can be kind of that voice of logic. Like this isn't going to last forever. Mm -hmm. Remember all the other times we've done this before and all, every single time we've come out of it eventually. Mm -hmm. And I'm here with you right now until we come out of that.
0: Thanks crystal for joining us this one. And we look, having you back Uh, next week we're going to dive into a little bit more on anxiety and depression what that looks like maybe some signs um, how to deal with those directly so join us as we welcome crystal back
3: hear from her thanks for joining us